Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's the podcast from Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. We share the inspirational stories of individuals who set their sights on a problem and then use their strengths to create solutions. We'll be right back after this. I'm with my sister, Debbie Shore, today. Hi, Deb. Hi. So glad to be here. This is going to be such an exciting conversation. Well, it's going to be exciting because we have a really special guest, uh, Mark Murphy, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, Many of you know Mark as a great chef who has trained all over the world and as a judge on CHOP, as the author of Season with Authority, Confident Home Cooking. Uh, He's also got a podcast, Food 360. He's been involved in Share Our Strengths Leadership Council for... Uh, gosh, it feels like almost since the beginning of time, Mark, that you've been a champion for Share Our Strength. Uh, and most important in this moment, uh, just back from, I think, seven weeks of working to help uh, feed and support Ukrainian refugees. What an honor to have you with us, Mark. Thanks so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is very exciting. It's been, uh, it's been a while since we've spoken. I was I was gone for a bit, as you said. Yes. Uh, well, it has been a while, and it feels like we've all been, you know, gone and uh, away and disconnected. But we're coming back, and uh, you've done some critically important things just in the last number of weeks. Um, tell us, uh, you went to support World Central Kitchen, which is a, a partner of ours and uh, an organization that we've also supported, doing the most amazing work right now. Uh, we just want to hear how you decided to go, where you were, how long you were there, how you made a a decision, because it's a decision that uh, impacts your work, your career, your family. Um, Tell us about your thinking and and where did you end up and what were you doing? Well, um, I was in Florida. I was in Florida at the Food and Wine Festival, which, you know, is sort of like the chef's Super Bowl weekend. And Jose Andreas had a little meeting with all of us just to give us a little update of how things were going at World Central Kitchen and so on and so forth. And then I, from there, I went to Tallahassee to do another gig. Uh, and on the ride home, this war just started. And I was on the plane thinking, I, I just can't sit here. So I sent uh, Jose a text. I said, I-, I was thinking of going to Poland to try to help out. He goes, great. So that's that's the only thing I got. But I was like, all right. So I called, you know, I got in touch with World Central Kitchen with some of the people that work there. And I said, where should I go? And they gave me an address in, uh, on the border of the Ukrainian-Polish border. And I booked a ticket. I got a uh, uh, an Airbnb and I rented a car and I was off. I had no idea what I was stepping into. I had no idea how long I would be there. All I know is the first day I rolled up there, it was like going to work for the first time. And uh, it was it was almost like, you know, you have butterflies in your stomach. You don't know what you're going to walk into. And I walked into um, a kitchen that was being built. There was only half of the walk in built. There was people running around everywhere, food, trucks pulling in, trucks pulling out. And I just jumped in. What, what, what town were you in, Mark? I was in Schemmel. Schemmel, they call it. Yeah. Uh, and and it was uh, it was it was I mean, just put it in one in one sort of phrase. It was life changing for me. But Mark, from the moment from the moment you heard about Jose being there, it, to the time you went, what was that like a week or a couple of days? Or I, I think it was about a week. Uh, the war started. They were there right on the ground right away, and I, I hopped in and just and just went as well. I guess I was there probably five or six days in. They had found this space and they were building out a kitchen to be able to feed people going over the border, people coming off of the trains, people staying in refugee centers. Um, and, and I just, I just sort of, I, you know, there was, 
nothing for me to do. I didn't know what to do. So I thought, you know, this is the one thing I know how to do and that's cook. So I figured I'd go try to help out. And I'm really happy I did. Mark, what else went into your decision? Like, you had to do, did, was your family worried about you? Did you have to talk them into it? You know, it, it, it's interesting. My, my wife, Pam, was just like, yeah, go. You, you should. You, you know how to do this. Go. And uh, something that is in the back of my mind, you know, as, as, as Bill, you know, having, having children is uh, you, you need to lead by example. And I think there was no better way for me to uh, show my children how humans take care of humans. Wow. And was this in uh, like mid-March that you went over? Um, oh, the exact date I went over there. I think I got there on the 8th. Yeah, March 8th. I landed there. Yeah. So really early. And and the numbers, I would imagine if you were there that early, that the numbers of refugees, it just got bigger and bigger every day. Is that right? It did. It, it fluctuated a lot. You know, sometimes you'd send all the food out and all of a sudden it would come back and they would say, what happened? Well, they closed the border. Nobody's coming through right now. And uh it, it's just it just varied, you know, and I think this is a situation that World Central Kitchen, which I mean, they're very pliable and very, you know, they're very uh, good on their feet. But this was the first time they'd ever, I think, gone to a war zone. Usually if you go in to feed people at a, um, you know, for a hurricane, you know how many people are there and you know how long it's probably going to be until things get better. But this is a very fluid situation. Every day is different. Every day things change. And w- w- how far were you from the border? Uh, it's about a 10, 15 minute drive. It's not far at all. Okay, so 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 pretty close. And the entire time where you're there, were you doing the same type of work, or did it evolve? Like, what was your what was your day like? You woke up and what did you do? It, it very much evolved. Well, first of all, I got to go. Uh, I, I got to move closer to the town because my first Airbnb was about an hour and uh, twenty minutes away. So I was <laughs> working ten hours a day and driving an hour and twenty minutes back and forth to work. So I finally got moved closer, which was nice. Um, but so, yeah, I would get up in the morning, I would go to the kitchen and we would work anywhere, you know, 10, 12 hour days just cooking. And I I did, uh, on some occasions go out with the chef who was there and we would go inspect the different points where we were distributing food because there's a leads at each distribution point. And we went out to try to see how we could make things better, uh, how we could improve things. Um, so the involvement was, yeah, really in the beginning, it was really just feeding people, which was getting, you know, protein starch and vegetables to people in like either soups or, or, or goulashes, you might call it. And as time went on, we were getting feedback from the leads on it all, especially the actual refugee centers were like, well, you know, these people are now living here. They want more variety. You know, they want salads. They want this. And, and, and so we did start doing that. And actually a week before I left, we finally got to a point where we were doing a seven day rotation menu which I was very happy that we, we got to be able to get that organized and get it up and running. I was going to ask Mark, and the food's coming from the local restaurants, and that's sort of how World Central Kitchen operates. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, there's a lot of partners. And in the beginning, they were they were leaning very much heavily on this area with local partners. But as time went on and we set up this kitchen, we were able to take over that uh, that workload and then letting the restaurants get back to normal life, being able to reopen their restaurants to local customers and whatnot, because you don't want to be disrupting, you know, uh, there's already a lot of disruption going on in that part of the world. So trying to keep things a little bit more normal. So we were able to absorb and take on all the workload from this central kitchen, which was which was really great. The other thing that was interesting was, um, you know, uh, 
something I had never thought about, but I guess if I ever do this again and have to go feed people in a, in a situation like this is, is understanding their palate, understanding the flavors that they're used to and the, and the things that they're used to eating, because you, you send things to them, you want to make them feel comfortable and, and not just, not just giving them food, especially if it's over a long period of time, you want them to feel, you know, things that they're used to eating. You know, there's, there's certain, like, for example, I made a pasta salad and I was making, you know, 150 kilos at a time for a couple of days until somebody from uh, they came back and said, uh, they don't eat pasta salad. They don't understand it. I was like, OK, well, we'll stop making that. Um, and and uh, and then there was some refugees that were actually helping us with the distribution. Uh, There's actually two young ladies who were there. And so from then on, every time I would make something new, I would bring it to them and go, is this OK? Do you guys like this? Are your are your friends and relatives and your you know, your, your countrymen going to like to eat this. And, and so we would really, you know, try to adapt to what they, what they were used to. You know, if I was like, I made a beet salad once and I put celery root in it. They said, no, nah, no, we don't like celery root in our beet salad. It's okay. Well, we won't put that in there again, but you know, you, it's just like a restaurant. You want to please your customers. And you had children coming too. So chances are their palate was a little bit different than their parents and their mothers. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think most, most European countries that that doesn't happen as much as in America, children eat what the adults eat, but yes, we were making hot chocolate for the kids because they were standing outside for hours and being very cold at the beginning. So it was definitely, as I left, it was just starting to get a little bit warmer over there. So that was, we weren't making hot chocolate as much anymore because it wasn't as much needed. Uh, But there was moments when it was very cold at night, we would literally just send chicken broth because people used to come over the border and just wanted a cup of warm something to drink. And, and that's what we were doing. Yeah. In terms of the scale of the need, did it feel like you were able to meet it? Did it feel overwhelming at times? Were, were there more people coming over than you could feed or was it, was it well-balanced and well-matched? I mean, I think World Central Kitchen does a great job of sort of figuring out how, how it's going to be and how, how well it is matched. I, I, on the other hand, was not really privy to that because there's a lot of layers in between that. I just stayed in my lane where I know what I knew what I was doing in the kitchen. So I just stayed there and tried to, you know, we need, you know, we were going to need 10,000 meals today. I'm like, okay, let's do it. You know, and then we're going to need, you know, 16,000. Okay, let's do it. Or we're going to need 8,000. Okay. And I'm just as a restaurateur, as a chef, I just try to control your product, control the, 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 you know, the quality and um, get it out to them as quickly and as uh, best best way we can. What, what about the language barrier? Was there one as you were getting uh, commands and having to give them out? Well, it was interesting because I, I do speak Italian and French, and we had a lot of different volunteers from different parts of the country and a little bit of Spanish. So I was able to communicate with a lot of the people, but all the all the the women there were and some of the men that were dishwashers or helping out, they were all speaking Polish. I speak no Polish whatsoever, but I'm really good at charades and, and sign language and making people laugh. So that was my main way of communicating. For, and then all of a sudden, about two weeks in, I said something in Italian. And this one of these women looked at me and says, oh, my gosh, you speak Italian. And I said, yes. And she was Polish, but she lived in Sicily for seven years and spoke Italian, which was an amazing revelation. So now I could communicate with her. And, and, and it was it was just a wonderful, wonderful moment. Um, but but they were everybody, their hearts so big. I mean, these people were working there and and helping out. I mean, on on Easter, they all got there early and made their traditional Easter breakfast and, and to share it with us and all the volunteers because they thought we've been feeding them and taking care of everybody. They wanted to take care of us on Easter morning. It was so, so beautiful. 
I mean, there was just the, 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 the touching moments like that were just they just kept coming. And it was, uh, you know, in the midst of everything, you would have these moments where you'd just sit in the kitchen and cry. <laughs> it was pretty wild. And, and you've, you've described a little bit about the, the, the volunteers. Tell us about the Ukrainian refugees themselves, mostly families. What were they like? What condition were they in? What kind of difference did the meal make to them? Well, it was interesting that, you know, there was one woman who was, you know, probably in her late 20s who had gone on vacation and came back and everything had happened. She's never she never went home. She was just at the border town. Her brother was still there and he wasn't able to get out. So she just took a job with World Central Kitchen, helping out with distribution. There was another young lady who worked there as well. Her her husband, her mother and father were back in Ukraine. I think they had driven her to the border to get out. She came across the border and Luckily, you know, spoke some English and got a job with World Central Kitchen as well. Um, you, 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 the stories, you know, they were, are they're, yes, they're worried. They're, they're worried about their country, about their, their fellow people. But they, they, I think it felt good for them to be working for an organization that was helping their people, which I think was really, really nice. We had another family, a husband and wife with a young daughter who was probably around 13 years old, 12 or 13. And they came in and they were working as dishwashers, the mother and father. And the young girl would help us out. She would help me out in pastry and doing certain things in the kitchen. And just and then all of a sudden, the father got a job in agriculture. I'm not sure where, somewhere else in Europe. And they were all leaving. And it was the sweetest moment when all of the volunteers got together and bought the young girl an iPad. And, and we had a little sort of going away and presenting her with the iPad. I mean, there was not a, dear, a, dry, a dry eye in the house. It was, oh, my gosh. It, it, was, it's like, it was like a new community, right? It was like a newly built community. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, we have the, I mean, this guy, Ben, this Australian guy who was just a I guess he's a he worked in fracking or something. And he came over and volunteered and ended up just staying there. And, and, and you know, he, he said to me at one point, he goes, this is crazy. It's like all of a sudden this little family's born and it's like all these people that work. And there was another woman named Alina, who's also from Ukraine, but actually lived in Poland. Uh, she was every time somebody would leave, she's like, I don't like this. People keep leaving. And she would get teary eyed. And, and I remember when she told me, she looked at me and she goes, and you're not allowed to leave. I'm uh, like, well, I'm oh my gosh, Mark. It, it was, it was, it was really something else. Did yeah. you make it? You must've made some maybe lasting friendships from it, huh? Absolutely. I mean, uh. there's a guy, Toby, who I worked with, you know, for a month straight from California, a British guy who works in computers and animation, I think. And he lives in California, a wonderful guy who worked his butt off with me. It was amazing. But there's this young, lovely young lady named um, uh, uh, Lucy, who I was working with and she got into the pastry area and she was helping make bread pudding and we had a wonderful time. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, so what do you do? She goes, I'm, I'm a blues singer in, 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 you know, in Holland. Uh, she's a, and, and then all of a sudden, one day somebody's, there's music's playing and she starts giggling. She goes, really, you guys have to do this to me? And it was, somebody was playing her album. I mean, it was just uh, uh, in the music in the kitchen. Yeah, you just get, you know, another woman who was there who's actually uh, had immigrated to America 14 years ago, Ukrainian. She works she works in marketing for a cryptocurrency company and just took off and came to work for three weeks to help out. And um, yeah, the stories are endless. Uh, the amount of people that came over. I mean, uh, Liev Schreiber, who's, uh, who's an actor, who, he showed up. He was, he was there for a couple of days with us. We had a blast with him. He was a very funny guy who was very passionate about helping and got right in there and 
You know, he's like, what can I do? I'm like, well, chop a lot of parsley. I had no idea who he was, of course. <laughs> Got right in there. And um, yeah, it was really lovely. So was there a certain point, Mark, in which uh, like after a certain number of weeks, did it feel like a new normal for you? Or did it always feel like this is just the most extraordinary moment? Or was it both? It was sort of, it, it just brought me back to my old days of just working my butt off in a kitchen. And I, I really loved it. It was just, it was, you know, you go home. You know, when you go home from a physical day of working and your, your body's tired and you go to sleep and you feel well, well, you know, that that's the way it felt because it was definitely it was a physical job. I mean, when you're cooking that type of volume and stirring, you know, uh, you know, 200 kilos of tabbouleh, it's it's not a it's it's a physical job as well as a, as a as a as a flavor you're looking for. But, yeah, it's quite amazing. And did you have any days that felt like normal days? Did you have a day off? Was there a day where you got to walk around the town that you were uh, staying in and, and not be connected to this and just refresh or was it 24 seven the entire time? No, it was, I, I did not take a day off. I would, there was one afternoon that I took a walk around town with the, actually the guy from California. We thought, Hey, we have, seems like things are under control. Let's go see what the town looks like. But then when I moved closer to town, I was able to, uh, finish work, go back to my Airbnb, take a shower and go out to dinner and feel a little bit more civilized, so to speak, uh, is, is instead of just running back and, cooking myself some, uh, some lentils and, you know, glass of glass or two of wine and going to sleep and get back up again. So it was, but it was definitely, it was seven weeks straight of, of work, which I didn't mind at all. And when you went, did you know it was going to be seven weeks or did it just turn into seven weeks? I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> no, I, didn't. I, I said to myself, I don't know if they need me. Do they need me? And then I got there and it was like, okay, here I am. I'm, it looks like they need me. I'm staying. And then it, the hardest thing was leaving. I, I actually called a friend of mine. She's a doctor. And she's done a lot of these things and gone off and helped. And I called her halfway through and I said, I'm sorry, how do you leave? What do you do? How do you leave a situation like this? And, and, and what do I do when I get home? And she's like, you just got to go. You got to go back to your life. It's, and it's not easy. You come back and you have to process everything that's happened. And I, I got home last Monday about a week ago. Yeah. And it's still sort of, I'm, I'm still sort of trying to, trying to figure out because, you know, when you come back from a situation like that, nothing seems to really matter uh, on this side anymore. It's like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm sure that when you, when you describe it to people, you know, they're listening, you know, they're interested, but you also know that they're not really feeling what you felt, right? There's no way to really put it in words. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I, I definitely, that was something that I was really, you know, pondering on my way back. I was like, well, how am I going to, people are going to tell me how great it was that I did this and this and that. And I was just like, okay, I just have to move on and have a conversation and talk about what it was like a little bit, but then talk about how everybody else can help as well. And I, I actually feel very blessed and lucky that I had a skill that was needed. I, I think a lot of people that I know really want to help, but you know, they don't have they, they weren't able, they weren't able to. And I was like, that's okay. Or donate a little money to World Central Kitchen. Or even if you can take two weeks off, go there. There's plenty of positions, either working at the distribution centers or just making sandwiches. You don't need a degree in, in cooking to put ham on inside of a piece of bread, so to speak. You know? So there are, Mark, so if people just show up, I mean, obviously not in droves, but if people show up, you know, they generally get put to work. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a uh, coordinator, uh, a um, um, a volunteer coordinator, uh, and there's also you go to their website, you go to their website, and you sign up for a shift, so to speak. So you 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 it's a you don't just show up. I mean, they, obviously, some people did just show up, and you, they, I think they usually found something for them to do. There was always always 
hands needed. But yeah, there's a, there's definitely there's they they have a system, uh, which I, I think I, I jumped the line because I just texted Jose. So <laughs> right, right. And I had these these three amazing chefs from Chicago show up, and they just looked at me and said, "Whatever you need, chef," because they knew I had been there a while. And I looked at them and I was like, "Sir, where, where are you guys? Who are you?" And they're like, "Oh, we're chefs." I'm like, "Great." Um, I, we're making salads now. I need, I need like, and I, I, I had made tabbouleh the day before and people really liked it the, the, out in, out in the field. So I said, we need, we need tabbouleh for 2000 people. There's the grains, there's the veg, go for it. And it was great to have, you know, seasoned chefs that showed up and we're like, we got it, chef. Don't worry about it. Take care of something else. We got this one. It was great. It was, you know, and, and you had that and you you had somebody who was an accountant who was like, I don't know when to do anything, but I'm here to help. And you're like, great. I can. And, and that was the balance too. It's finding you know, something for everybody to do to make them uh, one useful and then also feel useful. And did you always have the food and the ingredients you needed or were there shortages that you had to work around? What, what, what was that like? It was, you know, World Central Kitchen has, they, they they have people that are procuring food. There's always that going on. There's also every once in a while, there was one time there an 18 wheeler pulled up and I'm like, what's this? And it was a, a donation from Ireland. So we had you know, Irish cheddar, Irish butter, all these things coming off the off in pallets. And I was sitting there going, okay, well, what can we do with this? It felt like a chopped episode. Really. It's like, <laughs> okay, great. what do we do with this now? And trying to figure out what to do. Uh, um, but it's, it, you know, in the end, it's just cooking. And it's just, a, you know, instead of a pinch of salt, it's a kilo of salt at a time. It's and and I, I would imagine uh, this is the kind of situation where egos are really left at the door, right? If you're going to show up, you're going to work and you're not going to complain. Yeah, no, I mean, and and that's, it was, the, you know, you, you have the beautiful, I mean, humanity is just on, on display there in a beautiful way. And people do show up and they're just like, whatever we got, whatever you got, I'm here to help, you know, and it was, it was really, it's, it, it was, it was amazing. And Mark, who else is doing the work there? Uh, or does World Central Kitchen, like in the town you were in, do they have the monopoly? Are they collaborating with others? Does somebody say, uh, you know, we've got enough here, you go to this other town where this other organization is? is doing this? How, how do things get sorted? I, I mean, you know what? I honestly don't know. I mean, I know that they have a, they have a core staff that works for World Central Kitchen that sort of are there and, and um, organizing and planning. But what they do is they do try to hand over the jobs over to the local people and hire them to do the jobs. Like, you know, there was a, there was a purchaser there, this guy named Kyle, he was, he was responsible for purchasing and it was all coordinated with the purchasing that was going on in Warsaw. But then it was, we were separated from those orders and he was took it over. But then uh, over, over the next week or two, while they, he found out he had to go to, you know, it was time for him to go. They had hired this woman named Violetta, who was, uh, uh, she was Polish. She lived, she grew up in, in London. Her father, you know, worked there. And then she had moved back to, um, to this little town. And then she she became the purchaser. She was trained, and now she's the purchaser, and she has been left there as the purchaser for this um, for this location. So it's a um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how it all works. It's a definitely it was um, it was pretty pretty cool the way they, they you know it, it's it's you know crazy situations, but it seems to all work in the end. It's uh, pretty amazing. Mark, the first thing you said when we got on was that this was life changing, and. Uh, I think I know why you said it and what you meant, but say a little bit more about how how that'll really play out for for, for Mark Murphy. Oh wow, how's it going to play out for me? It's uh, as I said to you, it's still I'm still processing. It's still something that I want to I, I want to do more of. I want to um, I feel like I want people to understand people and and how humanity is 
just connected through food and how important food is. Um, I, I, you know, I want to make the world a better place. Any little bit I can do, if it's just cooking for refugees or uh, trying to explain to people using the, the, what, the platform I might be able to have or have to move forward and tell people how, 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 um, how we're all connected through food. I think it's something that it's made. I've always had that. I think you, the two of you know this, how I feel about things. And I think this has just amplified it um, and, and maybe given me more of a kick in the butt to try to do more. What's the best way for others to help World Central Kitchen uh, there and around the world? You mentioned writing a check, which I know is always uh, invaluable. I know that from our own experience at Share Our Strength. So people can go to World Central Kitchen's website, uh, volunteer. Any other thoughts on those who are listening, who are inspired by what you did in terms of what they can do? I think it's the same thing as, as you always say, uh, Billy, is like, you know, we are, you, you guys are representing kids that are hungry and they have no lobbyists in DC. I think just being a voice for people and, and raising awareness and not just money, money is obviously always important, but I think raising awareness and getting the word out and talking about it, I think just having the conversations about it is very important. And I think that's something we, we all need to do. We all need to understand that. Mark, I'm so glad we got you, um, you know, relatively soon after your trip, because you, you know, you just, if we hadn't interrupted you, you would have just kept telling more stories about the people you met, which is really what we wanted to hear. So thank you for recounting those with just so much color and passion. Well, and thanks for just being willing to do what you did. Uh, it, you know, it not only was invaluable for the seven weeks you were there, but I know it uh, inspired and will continue and inspire uh, so many others. It certainly inspires me, Mark. Um, and I'm just uh, really, really honored to, to know you. Well, you know, thank you so much. You know, it was interesting because I went there just to help. And uh, I had no idea the inspiration it was going to have on people. I mean, people showed up in this kitchen and looked at me and said, I'm here because of you. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty powerful. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think three days into it, I got a call from Anderson Cooper's producer saying, hey, we want you on the show. And I was just like, what is going on? Why are so many people interested? And I, I didn't, it didn't, and I, maybe it was just my naivete, but I was just, I had no idea. I, I posted on Instagram to get, you know, to the donation button and what I was doing and the outpouring. The comments, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And then I realized I'm not just working. I'm also uh, I'm also a mouthpiece, which I, I was very proud to be part of and very proud to uh, be able to be there for that. Thanks, Mark Murphy. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, guys. And thanks for what you guys are doing. On behalf of my sister, Debbie Shore, and myself, uh, and all of us at Share Strength, thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts, share it with a friend, or rate the show so that others can find it. At Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woodle's team at District Productive and Joanna Weber of Pop and Awe, with support from our team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.